Quantic Dream are known for their ambitious PS3 exclusives, Heavy Rain and the upcoming Beyond Two Souls, but for almost a decade before they allied with Sony, they were a multi-platform studio with designs on cinematic interactivity through branching storytelling and motion capture. Their first game in this vein was Fahrenheit, known as Indigo Prophecy in North America. Hello and welcome to Kane and Rince Volume 2, Issue 96. I'm James Carter. I'm uh, at the wheel tonight, uh, not drunk or disorderly. Joining me are Tony Atkins. Hello. We also have Sean O'Brien. Hey, you. And for his second second appearance on Kane and Rince, uh, we are incredibly happy to have joining us Eddie and Zotto from uh, Gamernode. Wow, incredibly happy. Awesome. Incredibly happy. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you, Eddie. So, tonight we are talking specifically about uh, Fahrenheit uh, to two of our guests, at least. Indigo Prophecy is uh, the name of the game. But what I wanted to do was just kick off talking about Quantic Dream, who have something of a reputation, I think it's fair to say. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, founded in 1997 uh, in Paris, they're a French studio, by David Cage, who was previously known as David de Grotola, even if I can say that properly, um, who was a musician and worked on scores for some video games that I'm going to be honest, I haven't heard of to my shame, um, before uh, starting a music and sound uh, studio, production studio. Um, uh, and then once uh, once 1997 came round, which was seems like a long time ago, but probably wasn't to most of us, um, founded Quantic Dream with the uh, with the express intent of merging music and cinematic storytelling to make games. So that's background to them. Their first game, Omicron. I keep wanting to say Omicron, but Omicron, <laughs> uh, the Nomad Soul. Hands up, who's played it? That that works really well on the nope. podcast, but I always say no. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no, not either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, me, me neither, to be honest. Um, it, it kind of actually caught me by surprise uh, probably a couple of years ago when I found out that Fahrenheit was not, in fact, Quantic Dream's first game. Um, I hadn't heard of Omicron. I hadn't played or spoken to anyone who had played it. But um, just a bit of background on it, I guess. Uh, it was released in 1999 on PC and then in 2000 on Dreamcast. Um, it was due to be ported to PlayStation and PlayStation 2, but hadn't fared well on Dreamcast, so that port was cancelled. Um, and was published by IDOS. So, as I said, this was uh, well before... Um, Quantic Dream became, you know, uh, tied to Sony as we all think of them now. Um, and this game's notable because it uh, includes music from, uh, and a couple of characters I think in the game are actually uh, voiced by David Bowie. Bowie, pick one from two. Um, so that w- that was obviously uh, David Cage, the, the musician, 
um, making a game and, and revolving it a lot around music, but it was apparently much more linear um, than, than uh, either Fahrenheit or Heavy Rain have been, um, and was an adventure game. I had not seen video of it. I've not played it. It doesn't sound uh, like, um, like we've got that much experience on the panel. It's, it's funny to hear you say much more linear, because... When I think of Quantic Dream games, Fahrenheit and uh, Heavy Rain are very, very linear. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, having, I, I watched some videos before I come on. No, the Nomad Souls does ring a bell, but Omicron doesn't. <laughs> um, but now I, I watched the video and it, it seems a lot more, um, I'd, I'd say, standard gameplay. So right. like third person action um, moving around the, the through environments, mm. you know, if, if I think of something like Heavy Rain in particular, you know, it, it, it felt very different from that. Just watching the videos, it seemed to have a lot more kind of free reign of where he was going in and out of buildings and etc. So uh, about linearity, but it, it certainly looked more of a standard outing for for um, Quantic Dream at that point. Yeah, it's a strange one because um, when I was reading up about Quantic Dream, it seems to be that they themselves feel that with Fahrenheit. Um, they they struck out towards towards something that they consider branching storytelling, but yeah, in terms of Fahrenheit's story, we'll come on to later. Um, it doesn't actually feel all that branching to me. Um, I guess the distinction they're trying to make is that Omicron was something separate, whereas they've been iterating on something with Fahrenheit and then Heavy Rain and seemingly yeah. beyond uh, to come later this year so i guess that's what they mean but yeah linear is maybe perhaps the the wrong word omicron had a mooted sequel that's been brought up a couple of times that may happen won't happen and it it seems to be in keeping with when i think of quantic dream i think almost as much about their tech demos as i do about their games they seem Mm. to be a studio that have lots of little projects on the go and when one of them kind of grabs them they run with it um just, I guess, quickly, we've obviously not played previous games to, to Fahrenheit, but for you guys, what do you think of when you think of Quantic Dream? What, what does that bring to mind? Their neo-adventure style of, you know, interesting, different sort of game controls and more cinematic storytelling rather than uh, focusing on on maybe depth of, of engaging action gameplay yeah i think well that's a that's a pretty yeah. pretty good summation <laughs> of fahrenheit yeah. should we just call it quits there <laughs> go to the <laughs> I think, yeah I, certainly um i think cinematic storytelling would be the first thing that comes comes to my mind and then a whole load of other stuff that we shall discuss within the show yeah. uh, it jumps on top of that and kind of buries it but i, I think the goal itself is um, something a bit more niche than, than standard video games, and you know, trying trying the hand at cinematic storytelling would be, I guess, the easiest way to to phrase it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I've put in here I, the point I wanted to make about uh, the sort of many smaller projects um, that Quantic Dream have kind of tried to dazzle us with in terms of tech demos um, is because Fahrenheit kind of, as I mentioned previously, marked a start of this cinematic um, storytelling with kind of branching stories is the way they see it. Um, and it, they really seem to find something in Fahrenheit um, to, to sort of attach themselves to. It gave them uh, an identity. It, and it, it made, I think, probably we'd all agree, 
it gave them uh, a distinctive type of game that they, they made. Um, and it also uh, sparked their interest in motion capture. And uh, I imagine in a few weeks' time when Heavy Rain is covered, um, there are a couple of tech demos that came out after Heavy Rain that are particularly notable um, in terms of uh, the direction that, that Quantic Dream have gone before beyond. Um, the one that came out right around the time of uh, Fahrenheit, about a year later, is called The Casting. Um, I watched it for the first time tonight, but it's ostensibly the casting of a digital actress, uh, a, a sort of casting uh, performance for Heavy Rain. And uh, have any of you guys seen it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's quite impressive. It is quite impressive. I think it's kind of been dwarfed since by Kara yeah. and then um, the Dark, Dark Sorcerer. Dark Sorcerer, that's it, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, for the time, I think in terms of a sort of first gambit of motion capture, it is pretty impressive. Um, and I think that sets the tone and shows what Fahrenheit maybe gave them or the inspiration they drew from Fahrenheit. Um, I'd certainly urge people to to take a look at the, those three tech demos I've just mentioned because they they definitely show a cinematic quality to what uh, what Quantic Dream are trying to do. So, a little bit of just a, a, a walk in here, but what we are here for is Fahrenheit, and I'm going to say from here on out, um, spoilers for this game. I don't think we're going to bring in any spoilers for anything else, but... And the other thing to say is, um, obviously, two of us are from the British Isles and two of us from the United States. So uh, we discussed this beforehand. I'm going to keep saying Fahrenheit. If we say Indigo Prophecy, it's all the same thing. Um, It's all the same thing. And and as far as I'm concerned, we don't need to stick to one or the other. They are exactly the same. Well, mostly the same. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, It is... Certainly what I think of as Quantic Dreams, you know, it's when I first noticed them, um, came out in September 2005, so right around the the, the spot between the, the two generations, mm-hmm. um, just before Xbox 360 came out, a, a year or so before PS3 first came out. Um, so in theory, at least, it pushed the PS2 and Xbox probably as hard as they could be pushed. Um, it was pretty much simultaneous release uh, and published by Atari, which certainly, I think, probably one of the last Atari published yeah, games. Yeah, would have been. been. Yeah. Um, I guess that was shortly after um, they'd done, it was Enter the Matrix they did, wasn't it? Um, and so, yeah, this was right there as one of the last games that they published as a, certainly as a, as a company that they were still owned rather than just a label that someone else was slapping on, but the history of Atari is is not for this podcast, thankfully, because we'd be here all night. <laughs> I did long yeah. podcast. <laughs> so I, I mentioned the title differences. Um, obviously, we've got Sean and Eddie on the show. For for you guys, um, from your point of view, it's it's only in your country and in Canada that the title was changed. Mm-hmm. Did you have any particular strong feelings on that? No, I know it's a strange question to ask, but. Yeah. Did you even know of it? Well, I, no, I, I didn't know about it. And then looking up the reason why it was changed seems a little. I I, I can see why they did it because of um, some publisher or some suit was upset that it might. Uh, some people might get it confused with a game version of Fahrenheit 9/11, the Michael Moore documentary, and um, I don't see how 
people would have looked at the cover of this game and thought a similar idea, but um, yeah, yeah, no, so it's, it's it bizarre, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that that was the reason. I I just didn't yeah. really care one way or the other. I was like, <laughs> oh, whatever. I mean, they both make sense. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think both titles do make sense. But yeah, the the reason was that um, Fahrenheit nine eleven had come out. I guess a few years, a couple mm. of years before that. Um, it was around two thousand three, I think. Um, and yeah, that was when people heard the word Fahrenheit, that was what they thought of, obviously very specifically in, in America and Canada, but probably worldwide, to be honest. The irony being, of course, that, um, that Fahrenheit 9-11 itself had problems with its title because it played on, uh, on a, a title previously. Right. Um, so again, there's, there's that whole thing as well. Maybe they just wanted to stay away from it. Um, mm. The thing I think is really curious is that certainly for most people in Europe, um, Fahrenheit's not a word we tend to use a lot. No, it's to be not. Honest. Certainly, Celsius. I mean, my, my parents' generation might, but certainly Tony, I guess our generation, and just it's all Celsius. That's what you learn yeah. about in school, and and the irony being, of course, that the the one country where Fahrenheit is very right. much still in use is the one country where that wasn't the name of the game. Um, what a ridiculous mess. <laughs> <laughs> although it is the setting of the game, so it it would it's in keeping with the fact so, that it's in. So how? How would you felt, Sean, if it would come out and called, and called Celsius? Would that have made any sense to you in America? Oh, yeah. I mean, we know what it is. We just don't use it. So, yeah. Um, I don't think it would make sense because it's set in New York. I think that's, that's true, why yeah. it makes sense in, uh, on the British Isles because it's yeah. still set in New York. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. All the weather reports are talking about Fahrenheit. And, and when you get each chapter intro, it pops up and tells you what the temperature yeah. is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and tells you that it's in Fahrenheit, which makes sense, as, as you say. I, I keep having to run a quick calculation in my head as to what the actual temperature is. Not That sounds, <laughs> that sounds so conceited, what the actual temperature is. Not this made-up <laughs> Mickey Mouse temperature. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I quickly run. Uh, so to get from Fahrenheit to Celsius, quick maths lesson, lesson here. It's getting cold. The game gets progressively <laughs> colder as you move through it. You, you take off 32, you multiply by 5 and divide by 9. I think that's right. Yeah. Wow, you were really bored by the story. If <laughs> <laughs> so the coldest it gets in the game is about minus 60 Celsius, minus 77 Fahrenheit, depending upon the ending you get. Just, uh, as I say, maths lesson there, folks. Um, that's not where the differences stop. The title is probably the most minor of the differences because there are also differences in the content. Um, I myself only ever played the, the, I guess, the European version, the PAL version, if you like. Um, but Sean and Eddie, you guys obviously will have probably most likely played the US version, which was cut in several ways. Well, I actually just played the US version this week for the first time on PS2, but originally I played the European version on the computer. Um, right. So I've seen some of the differences. Hmm. And how did you come about that then? Was that just that's the only one that's available on on pc i have no idea i just that <laughs> that's all that i had at the time so so yeah how did you feel about any of the uh the, the differences did it irk you that that there were uh, cuts made to the game or well it only in the sense that the the artistic vision was one thing and the other thing was censorship otherwise i don't think it would have mattered to me yeah, they're not they're not particularly scenes that are 
that feel crucial to any kind of development. It's just it just like Eddie was saying, it's a bummer that that something had to be cut just for uh, you know political reasons or whatever PC reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's a strange one because we often hear about you know Germany and Australia being countries that that have mm. quite strict rules about content in in games, um, and and it, it's usually the case that in in Britain, well, actually, you no, know, in Britain we've had uh, we've had issues, particularly with a couple of Rockstar games that spring to mind. Mm. Um, but in Britain, it tends to be just a case of it's either banned or it's not. The only game I can think of that was altered in any way, and, and again, that wasn't for the UK, it was for Germany, and, and we got the European version, uh, is No More Heroes. And uh, the guys talked about yeah. that when they did the No More Heroes show. Um, yeah, we we didn't get uh, blood. We got um, showers of glitter coming out of, um, <laughs> out of enemies when they were killed. Somehow them. makes more sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> somehow works. But I guess... That that sort of makes sense uh, in terms of cultural differences, because everywhere else, usually the censorship is more for excessive violence. But we yeah. are we are just yeah. a okay with as much violence as possible right. in the United States. <laughs> but nudity, but, but nudity. Oh my goodness! Forget it. God. Oh my goodness! Hide your babies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hide your boobies. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, it was specifically for uh, the interactive nature of it, as as I understand it. There were there were certain. Um, changes to to cover up the actual nudity itself, but it was the interactive parts that were just completely axed from the game. Um, mm. Which we should say there are, I think, three. We we quickly did a, yeah, a tally, three. Uh, three sex scenes in in the game, uh, which are they're not optional because you kind of stumble into them or not, just depending upon responses. I, I think the middle one is probably optional because you yeah. have to. I mean, that's with your your ex, isn't it, Tiffany? Yeah, that's optional. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to. Woo kind of converse, uh, yeah, <laughs> into uh, into um, you know, doing that. You you can mess up the conversation yeah. line, and uh, she just you know, stomps out the room rather than yeah. going uh, and coming back to your room. Yeah, and probably if you don't play the guitar well enough, she's like, okay, right, yeah. is that is that true? <laughs> I, I never messed that one up. Yeah, hot tip, folks, um, definitely play the guitar well. Yeah, it, it helps in so many ways. Um, so yeah, the, and. That middle scene that you're talking about, Tony, with uh, between Lucas and Tiffany, that's the the one that is very explicitly that's interactive, interactive yes. I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. Interactive in the loosest of terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about controls in this game a bit later, but it's as interactive as anything else is in the game, I suppose. Yes. Um, it, it's interactive in the same way, at least. Um, yeah. Well, yes. There, there is thrust in, and you can decide whether to do it you, you can enhance or not enhance the thrust <laughs> yes yeah. um but there were a couple of other changes um to it as well just to cover up some of the nudity um and and j- just remove some of the the more explicit images uh in those particular scenes um which is worth noting obviously eddie you managed to get hold of the um the the european pc version first time around um mm-hmm. But Sean, have you actually played through the uncensored version? Mm-mm, no, I've, I've never seen no. them. So, although I do, it hasn't uh, been corrupted. <laughs> there, there, there's a uh, shower sequence later on, um, and she's basically nude in that, but she just has no nipples. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, shorts. so I don't know if there's nipples in the uh, European version. Yeah, there are the nipple yeah. version. Yeah. Um, okay. He says immediately knowing the answer. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was checking so on this. Where are the nipples? 
Yeah, so the nipples were literally just essentially erased. Um, the idea being that you, you could imagine that they were just hidden from sight. Um, yeah. yeah. Ra- rather than having to, you know, like in some of the um, sex like scenes, put sheet over or, or just fade to black right. at the point at which the, the scene was became interactive. So, yeah, a, a strange one. Uh, there's not many games that... that push that particular button to the point of of that kind of um of censorship but this this is one that that does and in some ways i suppose it fits the stereotype with it being a french developer that that have have done that where the the nudity rather than any violence in the game is is the thing that um that is censored but who are we to pander to stereotypes so once we've got past the title screen and and marvelled at the differences there, and and the presumably the game's rating was adjusted for um, for the content as well. The first thing I think of when I think of of Fahrenheit, and I know this is the case with uh, with some other people as well, is the opening. The opening to the game just strikes me as incredibly memorable. It, it's the thing that sticks in my mind about this game, apart from certainly in a positive way. It's the thing that sticks in my mind about this game. Maybe the ending for other reasons. Um, but h- how do we feel about the opening, Sean? You would like to talk yeah. us through it, maybe? Uh, well, sure. Um, opening sequence starts off with. Uh, well, uh, hang on. Are we talking about the when you start playing or the actual opening where he's. He sits there and tells you about the life that you don't know you're living. And <laughs> well, oh, I think so... both are, are worth. In all honesty, I can't actually remember that tutorial section with. Well. Oh yeah, yeah I didn't, didn't even think about that. Yeah, the yeah, tutorial yeah. with uh, David himself. <laughs> yeah. So we've Isn't actually got multiple stages of opening. I think are all memorable yeah. for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. But... Well, yeah, I guess it's best to start with that. Actually, is yeah, yeah. it's 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 unique in itself, and it it in a weird way kind of sets up the. Uh, strange tonal inconsistencies of the game itself but uh so it starts off with a, a, a uh, avatar of david cage talking to you at the camera saying hey welcome to indigo prophecy and explains the the health mechanic which is basically your mental health rather than your physical health it can go from neutral to wrecked i think is the lowest it can go mm-hmm. and he says um something like you can you can get depressed and sad and even suicidal. And you're like, Jesus Christ, all right, Dave. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> and then and then like one second later, he's like, now meet my friend Bob. And it's a crash test dummy. And uh, he then introduces you to the, the way you play the game, which is a mix between uh, third person running around and interacting with uh, objects using the right analog stick. And um, or there are uh, more intense physical situations, which involve just slamming the left and right triggers uh, back and forth repeatedly, and uh, yeah, then he sets you off into the game. I'll let someone else take over there. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's it's strange to have that sort of a fourth wall breaking tutorial mm-hmm. when nowadays tutorials seem to be since then pretty much onwards. The desire is to have them as almost invisible as possible, or certainly mm-hmm. as as integrated as possible. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen that. I don't know if it's skippable, but I, I've played yeah, it on. Yeah, you can. Yeah, it is. Um, try it. Yeah. yeah, this this time as well. That, 
I've attempted to play this game, I think, three or four times, so <laughs> I, I knew the mechanics anyway, so I, I skipped it through for this uh, final completion. But uh, I mean, I, in a way, I think it, it's obviously really quite pretentious to use a, a crappy word, but I, I love it. I don't know what it is about that. It's, it's, it's David Cage himself. It's just, you know, he, he's the director of this game and he's just he's going to guide you for it. And I've always felt like games you know, essentially are, are, are almost like DVDs. You know, there's there's so much they can do. It's not in a, um, a sit in a cinema where you have a, you know, that you know that is your one experience. It's just being visual, you know, your visual storytelling. There it is. Mm-hmm. You have this disc here. They can add anything they want to it, like director's commentaries, etc as they do with DVDs and Blu-rays. So to have this opening scene of him just sitting you down saying, look, you know, this is something unusual. You haven't played something like this before. Let me just take you through it step by step. I think it's, it's really quite charming the first time you see it. Um, whether it breaks the fourth wall, maybe, but I'd, I'd, maybe I'd rather do it, obviously, before you actually enter the game. I think yeah. if he suddenly just pops yeah. up yeah. Uh, at some point in the game and says, no, you're playing it wrong. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that, and it's unique, and I don't think I've seen it done again since. He didn't do it for a Heavy Rain, if I don't remember mm-hmm. rightly. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, kind of, sort of. There's, there was, like, stuff on the walls telling you what to do, but, mm. you know. Yeah. yeah, I guess so, yes, kind of. I think, I think um, just... sorry, yeah, go ahead. I think just at that time, everything was was so different that it was important to to let everyone know that this is not your typical game, and you wanna yeah. you wanna do things a little differently, mm-hmm. which is fine. And especially since it's skippable later, like when I when I replayed it, I skipped right yeah. past it. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. And it's good because the 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 very first scene that it pops you in is time sensitive, and you need to know what you're you need to know how to control everything to get out of there right in time, or you're going to keep replaying that section over and over again. So, it's if that was the tutorial, yeah. you might have been pretty frustrated. Right. Yeah, I think the reason I say fourth wall breaking is kind of it reminds me a little bit of the casting tech demo, where in that you can hear what I'm pretty sure is David Cage's voice yeah, from kind of behind the camera, directing the actress as she comes in, talking to her a little mm-hmm. bit, and having her sit down, and then it kind of then the focus comes on to her and for her scene. But it's kind of in that way where it's reminding you that this is a cinematic experience and there is a director behind the camera and mm-hmm. he's just almost... It's almost like a, an introduction you would get from a director if you went to a screening where there was a director there for a Q&A session afterwards, mm-hmm. just a welcome to, this, to the film, welcome to the cinema, here's my film, make sure you're sitting with your head forward, eyes open and ears listening for the sound, you know, almost like that, kind of if you were giving instruction to watch a film, which obviously... Mm. You don't have to, but hypothetically. Um, yeah. And speaking of film, and since yeah. we're still on the opening, I think it's important to note that the the opening menu screen says new movie, not right. new yeah. game. Because <laughs> uh, Quantic Dream intended this to be an interactive movie experience and to, yeah. to get away from the word video game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the credits that, that pop up are very much in the style of a film with, mm-hmm. you know, the, the various credits sort of popping up as you go through the the opening video um, before mm-hmm. you actually get control of your character. Um, which I think is worth mentioning because you're sort of, um, by the end of it, you're following a, a raven, I guess, a crow. Um, sure. as, it, as it flies through the city in a very sort of cinematic opening with the, the credits sort of popping up on either side telling you, you know, who's made the game and, and you know, the various people involved in a very much a, a sort of a filmic way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you have to sort of remember that it was 2005 because right now playing it again, that all seems standard because so many sure, games yeah. do that. But in 2005, <clears throat> it was definitely a, something a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, being as Tony, you have started playing this game four or five times. <laughs> Would you care to walk <laughs> us through the first scene? Um, it starts off with the main character you're playing, Lucas. Uh, sitting in a uh, a cubicle of a loo, looking fairly distraught, um, and a another man in front of a mirror. Just he's obviously been to the loo and is washing his hands and, and cleaning himself up. Uh, as the character Lucas then exits the the lavatory, wanders towards him, and stabs him multiple times with a knife or three times with a knife. Um, with that, there's there's weird kind of flashing scenes of what we later known as the oracle um but when you're first time playing it doesn't really make any sense but um uh and it's clear that although he's committed this murder um he doesn't really seem to be 100 percent in control of his own own physical state but uh nevertheless you are the one that's had the knife in your hands and you are the person that has killed unknown man uh and that's where you take over as the player um and from then i guess the the controls is, is something that we probably should uh, start to talk about <laughs> is how you interact with your environment uh, from that point. But it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, memorable opening uh, scene because you know it's killing a man straight off. You know you're meant to you normally in games you are this positive good guy and and straight away you're playing the guy that has uh, essentially done a murder. So right. Yeah, I mean that's certainly what I remember about the game, which is the first thing you have to do is almost cover up. Um, a bad deed done by the character you know often games do start as some kind of blank slate with Mm -hmm. a with a way into the game that gives you an opportunity to learn what's going on learn the controls understand who the character is maybe if if they are a character you're playing but in this case it's straight into it you've just seen the character you're now playing commit a terrific you know a terrifying act pretty uh, horrific uh, murder and the first thing you're asked to do is to cover it up, which is again not a, not a terribly <laughs> decent thing to do uh, at all. Um, and it really threw me off kilter. For me, it was it was somehow instantly gripping, just because I knew, okay, this is the main character. I, I have to act as if I were him because that's what I do in video games. So yeah. I was already under so much stress right from the off. Mm-hmm. In a good way, because it's good when video games make you feel anything strongly. And I felt it was so effective, especially when they brought in the, the, the time-based mechanics and everything yeah. like that. Which I guess we could talk about the way that it presented the different parts of the scene, right? Well, and I, and I think the opening scene encapsulates all the different elements mm-hmm. that eventually bring in, in into the game. Um, including multiple scenarios which can happen from that very first scene. To... Um, so I, I guess the easiest way to describe it is that you, you have multiple choices at that point as a character. So the body is on the ground, there's blood everywhere all over the floor, um, and you can choose multiple paths as a character. So if you're really, I don't think, well, I, I guess some people must do this, but I, you know, me, I'm more into the interactive stuff. But if you're really completely paranoid, you can leave that room instantaneously, escape the scene, and actually go out the ex- exit straight away actually not have to deal with any of that other gameplay stuff such as clearing out the blood and the body um and the scene plays out uh, a very different way because you you exit you bump into uh, i think the waitress outside and you get blood all over her and she screams and then you exit the side door mm-hmm. and there's a there's a cop in a bar 
um, and he comes and you know says what's going on and she's a little man covered in blood and he goes into the the restroom looks and then you know the scene pretty much ends as you escape uh, normally via a taxi now most people probably won't get that scene because you're too busy playing around with your environment so what i guess what most people here would have done which is pick up the body you move it to uh, a stall you shut the door um you had there's a pile of blood on the floor so there's a mop right next to that convenient <laughs> but uh, you then mop up the the blood um and then start trying to figure out what's the best action as your character how to to leave this scene without necessarily being you know caught directly on the scene and working out how the hell this has actually happened um and there's, once again, multiple ways you can do that. You can leave the restroom instantaneously, uh, go into the cafe, and you, I think you can bump into the cop if you yeah. if you just walk straight out the door because you've got blood all over you. Um, you know, once again, you, you, you should clean yourself up. Or um, you can sit down at your table and act like nothing has happened. Drink a, have a, a snack, have a drink. <laughs> um, yeah, just you know, let the environment kind of move around you and then just stroll out the front door as nothing has happened catch a taxi and then the cop will then wander into the bathroom so there's a there's a time pressure there because there's a um the game does a lot of split screen so it will show you a perspective from one character to the next um so from this it's clear that the cop is at some point going to enter the restroom um so there's a pressure there and it's what you just decide to do as that character and when you decide to act and and yeah like i say that encapsulates most of the game but the opening scene i think most people would have played as i've been picking this game up uh and you know it's uh, once you go digging it's fascinating to see how many uh different scenarios that scene can play out as yeah i would love to just spend the time and go through every possible option yeah there, there's a there's a, a forum post later that that kind of um compares it to he says he likes it just as much as something like the beginning of the first Bioshock. And at first, I kind of was like, Psh, you know, okay, it's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> but then I think about it, and I'm like, it, it's really good in that it, it, it encapsulates like every, like you were saying, Tony, like takes everything from the game all in one scene, and and it instantly grips you, and you're doing all this different stuff at the same time, and really sucks you in. And I think it, it actually is really one of the more impressive well, opening sequences. And ninety percent of the people will never see more than the one scene that plays out. Yeah. Which is, you know, I always love when games mess around with that stuff because there's whole sections of the narrative that you won't actually see purely down to you know you doing you know pretty unique actions. Although it normally comes down to two choices that will play uh, probably play out. Yeah. But um, you know, I suggest that you know if you if you haven't if you played through this game and I, and I just kind of done the one playthrough to actually check out a couple of scenes on YouTube because it, it is really interesting even though the opening scenes to see the different variations that you can get. Yeah, I mean this is kind of the first the first scene and it's also I mean it certainly was pretty clear to me because I I walked the first time around I walked straight out of the door you bump <laughs> into the waitress um, if you've just walked straight out you bump into the waitress the cop immediately comes over. And arrests you there and then, and you get a voiceover saying, "I, I never knew story. what happened to me." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's game over. And strictly speaking, it's not game over. That is the end of the story. If we're talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah, story, you're arrested. It's the funniest yeah. game over scene. Yeah, ever. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it literally is Lucas's voiceover saying, "And here's where my story ends." You know, <laughs> I I wish I'd have found out what happened to me and and understood why I murdered that man, but I guess I'll never know. Uh, I'm going to be locked up for a good long time is, is basically what he says and that's it um, and yeah I mean that's strictly speaking that's the end of, of your story um, now it's a video game so it's not and it just says load last save 
um, or exit the game. Um, but but yeah, strictly speaking, that's all. That's what they mean, I guess. Quantic Dream meant by branching storytelling is that there are little minutia that you can do differently. And, and this opening scene is, as you said, Tony, it's kind of the one where you can do the most and get the most different, mm-hmm. you know, different outcomes, even though ultimately the only way to progress is, is exiting the diner and ending up in a taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's ultimately how, how it ends. Or uh, taking the subway. Yeah. Oh, you can go you in the subway. The subway. All right. mm-hmm. Yeah. Which actually <laughs> has an effect later because the other characters, I don't know if we want to talk about them yet. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, so immediately after this scene, you play as a pair of cops who are doing the investigation of the murder. Mm-hmm. So everything that you do from one side has an effect on what you do on the other side. So specifically, that I was going to say, if you take the cab much later in the game, they look up the records for the taxi cabs from that mm-hmm. night. But if you mm-hmm. go in the subway, that piece of evidence doesn't even exist. So, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of different little things like that. So, whatever you do in one half, either you'll, you know, you'll leave fingerprints somewhere, or you'll you'll leave more evidence, and it'll it'll change the way that the later scenes mm-hmm. with the other characters play mm-hmm. out. Which was always sort of weird because you, as a player, know what's happening on either side. But so you yeah. kind of really have to role play in order to make it feel feel believable. Um, or you can sort of game it and and make everything happen really quickly. Um, you know, just set it up so that you do everything, let's say, right in order to make it move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, a perfect point at which to talk about. So the very next scene kind of is the second half to that opening scene in the diner because you're back in the diner again. Um, but this time you are playing as... Well, initially, certainly, it's Carla, um, the sort of lead detective. She's a lieutenant in the the NYPD, um, and she is the one tasked with investigating uh, the murder that's just taken place. Um, and immediately, you think, "Hang on, I just tried to get away with this murder. I know where I hid the evidence. <laughs> I know that I know who did it because I was playing that character, and yet now I'm being asked to try and." Um, to try and basically investigate the murder um it's really odd it it feel it felt or ostensibly felt a little bit to me like um playing chess with yourself you know you're playing both sides of of a game of chess when mm-hmm. ultimately kind of subconsciously and then consciously you end up picking one side to win and that's kind of how it goes because mm-hmm. If you played a perfect game on both sides, it, no one would win. Would um, end, yeah. But, but yeah, that's but, uh, kind you, of how it felt to do, me. But... You you do have her faults or or Tyler's faults, which are, which adds a little bit more. So it's just not a straight narrative. Okay, well he mm. did this, this, this. There is a conversation that happens within her mind, yeah. so you kind of gleam a little bit more about her as a person, as a character. So even the smallest of actions, even if you know what ultimately the outcome of those scenes are, yeah. you're interested to see how she reacts to the situation that <laughs> you put them in yeah. personally. It's yeah. it's kind of strange. Also, there are a few examples of things that you do as Lucas that the game deliberately hides from your view mm-hmm. as the player. Yeah. Like with the mm-hmm. knife, he says, oh, I have to hide this. And you, you choose to hide it, and then it goes black, and then it shows him again without the knife. And then later again... Uh, he has to hide some evidence in his office, and the same thing happens before uh, Tyler or or Carla come in to check it out. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, so it's not quite as simple as walking in knowing fine well that he hid the knife right. in the bin, which is where he hid it, by the way. Oh, my big pardon, it wasn't the bin, was it? It was the toilet. It could be either. It's, it's, ah, it's right, kind yeah. of random. Oh, yeah. could it? Yeah, and also, if you look, if you look with Carla, she can't look in the in the garbage. But then you have to switch that, to Tyler, yeah, Tyler and then Tyler yeah. will reach in the garbage. Yeah, it, it rewards you for using everything you can with either yeah. character. Yeah. yeah, and and it's a little bit more complex than that as well because um, as Carla, you you can still look in into the like the laboratory area and see blood on the floor now you don't see that as your characters you you've assumed you've done a good enough cleanup job but you haven't right. and then you go in and look at the where you've sat down there's blood on the stool which you would never have known that that was there so there, there's evidence to be found that you didn't know that you would have left yeah. in the first place mm-hmm. yeah and and carl will spot things differently to tyler as as we've just mentioned um mm. all the characters seem to enjoy looking in the mirror though Tyler in particular. Tyler in particular. Yeah, <laughs> um, but at this stage in the game, uh, certainly Carla and Tyler get a, a. I think they both get a boost to their mental state by looking in the mirror and pulling a proper sort of hand on the the bottom of your chin, turning your head side to side, <laughs> proper posing in front of the mirror. Uh, which I guess that's a nice way to lead into doing these ostensibly everyday sort of things: looking in the mirror, having a drink. Um, uh, getting something to to eat or warming yourself next to a heater or a fire um, are all ways just to boost your mental state a little bit. Um, what do they call that meter? Is it mentality meter or stress meter? Stress meter sounds stress meter. Stress meter, yeah. It, so I guess it, it becomes... It never really felt to me like you were managing that too much. But you were always looking for little ways to boost your mental health a little bit and just keep yourself a little de-stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, well, essentially, I mean, for anyone that has, has played Eternal Darkness, it's a little bit like that. So in Eternal Darkness, the more stressed you get, the more weird things you see happening around your environment. So it's not quite parallel to that, but you want to keep, um, you keep yourself... It's, it only goes up to neutral. You can't make yourself happy. So everyone's just neutral in this game if you get it maxed down. Um, but the lower it becomes, I, it, I always felt like it should have been had a bigger effect on gameplay. So you become more agitated. Maybe clues didn't stand out. Maybe time um, would have gone down faster or just yeah. something like that. But it, it essentially, if it gets all the way down to wrecked, then... Um, it's game over and you start again but then you start again from wherever you you left left off with the stress meter so as a gameplay feature i don't think it it worked particularly well but as a role-playing feature it worked extremely well certainly in my case so as you if you pointed out james to, to me it um it made me want to do the incidental things so to keep that meter higher i mean you, you do this where the meter looks like you're stressed you kind of look all kind of down and out and, and upset so i always wanted to keep you know my players at least some kind of happiness within their lives <laughs> so um yeah i would do the incidental stuff such as you know, take a drink from the water fountain just to give me five plus five or from the coffee machine or you know go to go and look for the cupboards for for food or turn on the tv or you know to switch on the radio and all that stuff is a real <clears throat> It's a great mechanic to to make you role play a character rather than just okay. Well, my task here is to go here, here, and out of the room and done. You know, I got up in the morning, I took a shower, um, you know, I I dressed. <laughs> Some of those things you have to do to leave the apartment, but 
I, I felt like, you know, because I was being given plus 10, plus 5, my bars were getting larger. So, you know, I, I wanted to, to interact with that stuff. Mm. And, you know, mostly throughout the game, I was I was always looking for those you know, those points and, and clues that I could do just to, just to make my me- mental health a little bit more sane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's occasionally unfair, too, and, and that you'll... You'll do something, and it'll have a, a um, an adverse effect that what you wanted. Like uh, the next scene, you you come home, and or Lucas goes home, and he's trying to uh, relax himself and, and and get out of this mental state that he's in. If you go to wash his face in the bathroom, which should give you like plus five or plus ten, whatever, and he goes to cl- shut the uh, mirror. And there's a ghost of the guy he just killed right behind him, and it's a great scare sequence. But then it's like minus ten, and you're like, "Oh shit! Well, what the hell?" Because like, oh, he's frightened. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. It just there's a, there's a couple, very few moments like that where it just feels a little bit unfair. But it's a, yeah. it's not that bad. It's also it it it's really blatant as well, isn't it? Because they they want you the player to understand emotions which sure, the characters yeah. are going through. Yeah. So instead instead yeah. of just doing it through face, the facial animation, it's look he's lost tw- <laughs> yeah, minus twenty. He's yeah. really upset about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the first thing pretty much that happens in the game is is that murder, and then you lose twenty uh, right, mental yeah. health points. I'm pretty sure if I not just killed someone yeah. not of my own <laughs> volition, that would drop. <laughs> <laughs> He's stressed, yeah. not necessarily wrecked. Just stressed. Yeah, he was yeah. just stressed. Just stressed. <laughs> Mild stress, bit of coffee, Bad look in the mirror, you'll be fine. <laughs> just wash your hands, you'll feel better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mop the floor, job done. <laughs> there you go. Feeling better about my crime already. It's ridiculous. So the other thing that that very opening sort of, uh, the, the opening two scenes in the diner um, put me, uh, you know, set the scene, I guess, for me. Um the voice acting. Uh, David Gassman is uh, Lucas Kane, um, and he is uh, an American who's living in Paris and does uh, translations and voice acting. And his opening voiceover, I thought actually playing the game again this week stood out to me as actually pretty decent. I, I yeah. the more I heard of him playing Lucas yeah. Kane, there was occasional line that you know maybe for the dialogue didn't work, but actually his performance as Lucas Kane I thought was pretty good. Um, yeah. Throughout, I was thinking about Heavy Rain and comparing the performances yeah, totally. and thinking how much better uh, Indigo <laughs> yeah. Prophecy was in terms of Lucas's voice performance. And why he wouldn't do it again. Like, why would you set another story in America and not use American voice actors? It's yeah. my, this isn't the Heavy Rain cast, but, you know. No, no. You can wander easily into that conversation. But the voice acting here is very, very good, especially for the time, too. Yeah. yeah. Certainly for the, I think certainly for Lucas, probably Carla and Carla. Tyler as well, pretty mm-hmm. decent. Some of the other characters are supposed to be American, you hear the accent waver a yeah. little bit. But to get the main three characters, the ones that you're going to hear the most of in the game, right, you know, have their voices sound sound pretty good. Um, I think that struck me, and exactly as you said there, it struck me more second time around playing it after having um, played Heavy Rain when the the think fairly valid criticism that i'm sure will come up in that show was that if you're going to get someone to to uh, voice act outside of their own language or accent it's got to you know it's got to be convincing um and in this case i think it, it paid dividends getting someone who was in france and therefore you know able to be there in quantic dreams recording studio but 
is American. So they didn't have to fly anyone out, but just being a bit more sensible and a bit more savvy about using the resources around you to, to fit with the game that you're making. And that leads us on to those protagonists. Um, primarily the three characters you can play as. Lucas, you always play as him in, in, in his scenes. Um, occasionally you get control of his brother Marcus, um, but mostly just for dialogue's sake, not for necessarily controlling him apart from a couple of moments. Um, but then in the, in the scenes where you're playing as Carla, you, I think you pretty much certainly usually have the option to switch to Tyler at any time. Um, and those are your three main protagonists. Um, how do we feel about them as, as protagonists go, obviously, on opposite sides of this, this series of murders? I really like them. I thought that they, they served their purpose as well. I mean, I like Lucas because he's obviously the most emotionally affected character. He's got the most going on inside his head. Um, Carl is good, but, you know, she's, she's a little bit more standard. You know, she's a cop. But uh, she's voiced well, and, and her thoughts come through uh, reasonably, understandably for a, a player. Um, so, I mean, generally, I like them, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I found them all likable. I think mm-hmm. Tyler, we probably need to have a conversation yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> a little stereotypical, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, not, not too bad. Not, not over the top, yeah. yeah. But, like, there's, well, like, there's like some when he'll, <laughs> he'll walk into the police station and all of a sudden funk music just starts playing and you're like, oh, okay. yeah. Like, no, no one else had any kind of sound check, but he's got the... And he's he, got and the he fun loves playing yeah. basketball and all, you know. It's just yeah. a little, yeah. There's a couple of little moments where you just like it's a little cringing. But, but he kind of, I don't know, still I, like I feel like he, he kind of sells it. Like yeah. it, it's yeah. not, it's it's not completely over the top because he has this it, pretty good um, facial animation. He, he kind of a wink and a smile, and, and it kind of just goes with his character. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he's the opposite <laughs> of what Carla is, which is you know. A, Straight laced by the book. Straight laced cop, but and and I think as a female protagonist, she's she's pretty pretty good for you know video game protagonists. Mm -hmm. Um, You know she she's she's pretty well uh, defined. But what what is weird, and and this becomes a bigger issue, and once again comes back to the controls is. So a lot of the the internal monologues is is kept behind almost feels like a paid wall, but the paid wall in this case is being the quick time events. So if you succeed or fail at the quick time events, you don't you either get to hear or not hear the monologue inside their heads, and it feels rather a harsh punishment because mm-hmm. ultimately this is a you know a story driven game, and they lock out chunks of the story depending on how well you're actually playing this interactive novel, and it. it to me, that's like I, I wanted to know more about these characters, but the the, odd, the time that I actually failed the the events, I'm like, oh, I, I guess, <laughs> I guess I don't find out what she feels about this scene. Then okay, mm-hmm. um, so at times I feel like he, he trips over his own kind of um, narrative just by <laughs> putting it behind this weird paywall. But I I think you know I I liked her as a character, and they they do some stuff with her, such as the shower scene, which would repeat itself in in you know, later on in Heavy Rain, which you know I I think was handled well enough but it, it you know once again it's it's whether we think this story is good enough to hang these characters on and i and i feel like later on in the game it's not so the characters suffer greatly yeah. but early on in the game yeah. i think they're they're pretty well defined characters like there there's some subtlety to to the acting um yeah and some subtlety to the storytelling within those characters so you know, it's not really their fault that yeah. David Cage goes yeah, off yeah. on one. And you, you get you get some kind of interesting backstories on on the both of them too. More more so, it seems with Tyler, but they, yeah, towards the end, they kind of just they chuck all that stuff out the window and just go full hog mm. on the sci-fi stuff. But yeah, it's a shame that 
it doesn't pan out, but they are they are all all three of them are pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, to to talk about Tyler in, in particular, although he's this you know the kind of weird black funk guy, um, you know he's obviously you know good at his his job and he he spots different things that Carla doesn't, but right. his home life is very different. So there's a great story strand in here that where um, uh, oh now what's his girlfriend? Is it Sam? Sam yeah, yeah that. Sam, um, yeah, they've been together a couple of years. In, in fact, at one point, you celebrate their anniversary within within the game. Mm. Um, but she hates the fact that he's a cop. Um, and there's a there's a really interesting conversation where she talks about that. Please just leave, you know, leave the force. You know, let's go and ch- you know to the farm and and chill out. And you know, why do you have to be the one on the front line? And he's just very much like you know, you know, one day I want kids and I want this this place to be a sa- you know this world to be a safer place. And I want, you know, if I don't do it, then, you know, who will? And that, you know, one, you know quite interesting that and you're acting that and you can you can put your own kind of um, fruition on, on the comments. Like you can be quite negative towards her or you can be quite positive and, you know, and that scene can play out a couple of different ways. So, you know, interesting take on that character. Yet towards the end, it, it kind of goes off the rails there. Yeah. Although, I mean, he, he does get quite a nice, well, the way I always chose his story to end he got quite a nice resolution which was um as things are really going south and it's become apparent that uh the temperature is dropping it's not safe for people and and plenty of people are sort of you know stocking up on supplies and kind of hunkering down um sam comes to the police station um Mm -hmm. just as as kind of the 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 case has taken a completely different direction for carla and and tyler um, and they are no longer investigating Lucas. They're trying to, or she is trying to help him. Um, and uh, and I always take the option. Uh, Sam basically yeah. says, you know, it's now or never. We need to get out of here, and we need to. Did anyone not do that? It's yeah. I mean, so the option is that, that yeah. Uh, Tyler says, yeah, I'm going to leave with you, and he, he essentially quits his job and goes and and leaves. Yeah. Lives on the farm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it's it, it's it's a good ending to his story but it feels very quick like it's like the second yeah. you make that choice he walks That's over to it. carl and he's like i gotta go and she's like all right have fun <laughs> it's just yeah. over yeah so yeah it feels it's a pretty it, extreme it, situation too though sure yeah he's like i yeah, get yeah. out of there now yeah that's true yeah. it just feels like most of the most of the ending just feels rushed and that's just another part that felt rushed to me i don't know well and and he he once again he has a another sex scene that you can instigate yeah. because um Carla rings him up and says, Look, you've got to get to the office and he's overslept and this is the first time you see Sam in his bed mm-hmm. and you can actually ref- and just not go and yeah. just give Sam a kiss on the edge of the bed, which then you have to re-ring him again mm-hmm. um, and say, seriously, like, come to the yeah. office because he's, he's too busy. You cut back to uh, his character stuff. and his, yeah. you see the bed shaking and love TKOs playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I didn't even yeah, know can- that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you can also uh, instigate. Well, for the as I mentioned, there's an anniversary, and for his anniversary, she does a dance, and you know, <laughs> once again, they're they're snuggling up on the couch, and I think another great scene where um, Carla rings again, uh, and you know, he needs to come to the office, and like you have to go, and it feels ter- you know terrible yeah. because we've all been there as you know in our own personal lives where something's more important than the job, yet the job has to come first, yeah. and. Yeah, you know, when they see that that stuff there, it's making me remember the stuff I actually I think was really quite good about um, Fahrenheit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I experimented with that scene. I uh, I let the phone ring and I left the game and I went and I think I, I 
collected my laundry and brought it back. And I just, just the phone game, the, yeah. the phone ring, and the game just kept it ringing. There was no way to do any other yeah. option than say I have to go. Yeah, it's worth saying that key points in the game, um, although you do get dialogue options, you get options to, to question people about different things, um, and the, the QTEs, the way, how well you perform them makes a difference, there are key points at which actually the story's just moving forward and, and you, can, you can kind of feel the strings pulling behind the scenes saying, no, no, this is the way the story's going. Um, with with Lucas as well, there's there's key points at which, you know, towards the end, you're questioning um, members of the resistance, uh, Bogart in particular, questioning him about what's going on, but ultimately you have no choice in what the next step is. That's already laid out. Um, and occasionally you get a QTE sequence that feels like you're having some impact on the game, but actually it makes no odds to what happens next almost, aside from being able to fail and therefore lose the game, you know, get a game overseen. Um, so that's where kind of the branching story does seem to fall down a little. Mm. Um, we, we mentioned that um, obviously the game starts with a murder investigation. I thought one of the interesting things was that this seems to be a repeating motif in Quantic Dreams games because uh, actually Omicron is a murder investigation where a human is contacted by a being from another dimension to investigate a murder, you know, in this other world. Um, and obviously, Heavy Rain is very much focused on on investigating murders as well. Um, mm. So it does seem like that seems to be a repeated motif. And in mm. playing the first half of Fahrenheit, it does feel like you're seeing some of the scenes. Tony, you mentioned the the shower scene. There's a couple of scenes where you're yeah retreading playing as Grim. Carla in her apartment. It feels quite a bit like I can't even remember the character's name in Heavy Rain, but the female protagonist in Heavy Rain. You're playing that scene as well. Um, and the relationship between Lucas and Carla kind of feels like the relationship in, in Heavy Rain as well. So it does feel like there are iterations on, on a, a theme that David Cage has in mind when he's writing these stories. Um, the weird, totally unreasonable and, and <laughs> this ridiculous relationship. Yeah, and the relationship that comes from literally nowhere. It goes yeah. from Carla is, is hunting Lucas to the next scene is Lucas has apparently called her off screen. We don't see that happen. And they turn up and meet in a cemetery and she's suddenly very reasonable, depending upon how you play the, the conversation. She's behaving much more reasonably and listening to him and you know taking on board what he's saying um, to then she's helping him escape the police. And it feels like it goes from sh she wants to arrest him to saying I love you to him in... <laughs> I mean, it's probably it's supposed to be a, like a couple of days in game time, but it doesn't it it doesn't feel that long to me as a player. It doesn't it, feel earned. Why it's weird is um you know to to quickly kind of sum up the plot until the the twist there there's a real kind of slow burn pace to the, the investigation. It was as Lucas, you're trying your best with your mental state just not to lose you know, every single scene um there's a you know there's a reason why uh, it feels like there's otherworldly parts entering his mind and, mm. and you're not entirely control of lucas himself but as the police you're obviously just trying to you know trace his steps and, and find where he's gone but there, there's there's a fairly slow place like there's there's another 
a great scene in the game where um, Lucas's ex-girlfriend Tiffany comes around, um, and she, you know, she's purely there to to recollect her her stuff. You know, you you assume this is a relationship that broke down a couple of months ago, and the, the scene's really interesting. You know, you can make her a, a glass of drink, and um, it, it has a real kind of slow atmosphere to it, and you can mess up that scene right away. And she, you know, she leaves the apartment almost instantaneously after getting the box. Is if you try to kiss her too soon, or you can let the scene play out and you play a guitar. Like all this stuff takes like ten, fifteen, twenty minutes mm. to play out, and then that leads on to a essential lovemaking scene. And even that then plays on to a bit later on in the game is when you've got to hide in her apartment away from the police. So all this stuff takes time and engages the player to actually kind of embrace the characters, who, who they are, your interest in their stories. And about, I think it's a bit more than the halfway point, but it feels like yeah. a halfway point. The story just needs to take this otherworldly turn and they lose control of, of the story or what they want to tell as the tale. And um, they wrap up plot elements almost, you know, out of nowhere um that like you say that twist seems to come out of nowhere i actually mentioned pre-show that i felt it almost felt like i fell asleep missed a couple of scenes rewoke again <laughs> and was being told a different story and I was, how, how did like you know you're you, you're willing to take 40 minutes of my time mm-hmm. and and, and de- you know describe a back relationship which isn't ultimately that important to the to the story yet the main plot twist is kind of just like oh yeah that happened yeah. And, uh, and the, the real okay. the shame about that too is that you you, you had s- sequences earlier in the game that felt unnecessary while you're playing them like there's a moment where um carla has to go down into the basement of the police station and she's she all of a sudden tells you that she's um claustrophobic Claustrophobic. and then you take like this like 10 to 15 minute long scene just walking through the the files and trying to find where they are and all this stuff and then Later on, there's a scene with Tyler playing basketball with his coworker, and like all these stuff, they're kind of cute while you're playing them. <laughs> yeah. But then, when you realize later on how they had to rush the ending, like you're like, well, you could have cut that shit out and then put in a couple more sequences at the end that made it flow a little nicer. Yeah. But, and so- also, particularly with that scene with Carla, it when I think about that scene, I think about David Cage and his team just sitting around saying, "How can we make them feel more emotion?" <laughs> and just like, oh, I know, we'll put yeah. a claustrophobic character in a small place. Yeah. yeah, it's funny that scene as well. You can just take control of uh, Tyler and bypass that scene oh, really? together because he's not. And you just walk around there and find the files. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But um, so James, my my task to you then is mm. um, so we we've talked about how subtle the, the game is. I think for the the early stages, so what happens at the plot twist? Where ultimately does this detective story lead us? So all along. All the way through. There's actually, for the first half of the game, I think there's a really nice escalation where you you start to feel like, from the very beginning, you get this sense that there's something supernatural going on. And it's handled, I think, pretty well in terms of ramping up that. So um, Lucas will start having visions. Then he starts noticing that actually he's starting to feel stronger and more powerful. And you get to the point where he's He's actually dodging bullets and, and able to leap over cars and and you know uh, knock police officers around like they were they were playthings, um, and you start to realise something very very um, important is happening to him. Um, He's Spider Man. Well, essentially, Neo. yes. <laughs> well, Neo is is exactly who, who yeah. you think of, and by the end of the game, it is it is yeah, just crushingly Jesus. apparent that that's the the touchstone for this character. Um, but there's a point at which, and I don't, so you meet Agatha and she explains a little bit of what's going on. She's then killed and you start to find out 
more and more of what's going on, you realize it's somehow connected to Mayan ritual sacrifice and mythology. And they throw at you in a couple of back-to-back chapters, two different characters. Um, the first one is Janos or Janos, and then Kiriakou, Kiriakov, I can't remember his yeah. is, is name, but the museum... Um, the uh, expert that you're contacting is uh, as though you're a journalist to find out more about Mayan history. Um, and at that point, they're throwing in too many characters at you and it starts to get incredibly deep. You start to see, uh, you see one scene from the aspect of the Oracle and it's, that it introduces this orange clan who are controlling the world and want to get their hands on someone. It just starts throwing in loads of exposition and it just loses itself. And all those I mean, the basketball scene, um, the the scene with Tiffany in the apartment, these little scenes that you sort of think, well, they kind of feel unnecessary to the story. The secret behind them is that actually when I look back on them, they feel like they were necessary to the characters. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And all of this story stuff that they start throwing at you from, it, it pretty much is, is the halfway point. It may be slightly more towards two-thirds of the way through the game. They just start absolutely piling on what feels like an unnecessary unnecessary amount of information to get you to the point where you believe the world is in danger, as opposed to just this is something, this weird supernatural happening that is focused on Lucas to a backdrop of something that's clearly affecting the world, which is the drop in temperature, which is where the game gets its name from over here. And I think the the only thing I like, the, the backdrop of how that, comes about is that they they do a couple of interesting flashbacks to uh, lucas's early uh, childhood when he was on the military base and yeah. on this military base is when they they found the artifact which has chroma yeah chroma chroma, yes. chroma yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um and chlorians do you know yes yeah <laughs> and and you sneak into this place and ultimately actually no the, it's the mum isn't it so you're inside her womb and she looks at this artifact and then you get um, superpowers from that, mm. and it's just you know, um, when the oracle takes you over, it, you know, he just takes over the wrong guy. It happens to be <laughs> the one that yeah. to be at this military base. It, it so it, but it because I mean, I like the flashback stuff, but it becomes all so nonsensical. When you get towards the end, you're like, who are these people? What am I doing? Yep. Yeah. And why are my characters now acting like they're you know Neo from the Matrix? Yeah. It's and all that fine work they do to to build up a, an, an interesting tale. I just feel like it, it goes into the trash can, and you know, you're you're remembering the second half of the game. And as as before, you know, I, I said I've attempted to play this go- game multiple times, and it, and it's you know I haven't got up to the three quarter way point and then just given up. It's it's been you know before then just because it's yeah, you know, yeah. it's a kind of a, a, a slow paced game. Mm. Um, but you know, in in some respects, you know, I'm, I've got a more stronger vivid memories from just playing like four hours of the game mm-hmm. multiple times than I do for this sitting that managed to get to the very end. I think that's end. the weird thing is for the first half of the game when I first played it, I didn't appreciate the time that was being taken. And as I said, the pacing actually is pretty decent. It's only when you've played the latter half of the game that you realise how rushed <laughs> that feels and how over the top yeah, and how That's the genius of Dave The first half is, is, is the good stuff and you didn't yeah. appreciate it while you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you only appreciate it by its absence. I, I just think so the weird thing is that you've got these two factions who are two of what were many factions, and the Orange Clan believe they've eradicated all these other sort of supernatural, powerful organizations. Um, and they are waiting, they are biding their time, and every seven years they kill seven people 
um, in order to to get their oracle, who is this semi-immortal being, uh, who's a conduit for the Orange Clan, uh, um, an agent for them on Earth, in order for him to be able to touch the wave, and as I'm saying this, I'm crying inside, <laughs> to touch the wave, to be able to see Taste where the, the indigo... <laughs> yeah, frankly, yes. <laughs> to be able to see where the, the indigo child is, and when the indigo child is born, who is this new soul, so the idea is souls are reincarnated all the time, and there hasn't been a new soul, a pure soul, for a long time. They, the Orange Clan want to find out where the indigo child is so that they can, um, when she reaches her seventh birthday, she will, she will tell them the secrets to, uh, to essentially the universe, life, the universe, and everything. She will whisper 42 in her ear and, and be done with it. 42? 47? 42. Uh, 42, it's 42, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's their grand design. That's why they're doing this. Um, and then you have the and, and then, AI. And you have the AI internet. construct, who is the purple clan, who have been hiding in the internet. <laughs> yeah, th- this is where it really just goes off yeah, the rails madness. for me. When they came in, and it was only at like, the very end. Right, it was yeah, just from nowhere. Well, Come on, <laughs> and, just leave it. You're already mystical enough. You yeah. know, it's already yeah. fantasy. And it just and and all of these things happen like one scene right after the other, like boom, 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 internet, yeah, yeah. Orange Clan, Oracle, girl, like it's just one thing after the other, and you're just, what the fuck is all this? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at my notes now, and from the point, certainly from by the time um, the cemetery scene where Carl and Lucas meet, I'm I'm just writing what the fuck. What is actually happening here? Because the dialogue falls apart. You know, Carla says to him, "You're a fugitive wanted by the police, every police department in the country." (laughs) Why? He's only he's only committed crimes in New York. Why did San Francisco Police Department want him? It's nonsense. It just and it feels they they send out the army as well for him, pretty much. (laughs) They like fifteen police cars, four helicopters. It it just and they finally corner him. Feels like unnecessary additional crap designed to make the the game or the the story feel more weighty it needs to be the world at stake it needs to be every police department every police officer in the world looking for him why does (laughs) it need to be that yeah Yeah. it just it feels like the first half of the game is lots of very important stuff going on in the lives of these three protagonists and the uh, sort of ancillary characters around them and suddenly it needs to be the whole world otherwise the story is not important and yeah. it just it seems like madness because actually at the heart of it, the world is under threat because the indigo child is dying and by extension, therefore, the temperature is dropping. Which I like. I, that I quite like the great yeah. If if this murder if this um you can still have the supernatural murder, the child taking over. But yeah. actually the threat to the world is just the temperature dropping. And yeah. A seven-year-old girl that has yeah, quiet, no reason why. Yeah, exactly. Fairly quiet, fairly subtle way to have the world under threat without the bombast and the the bullet time and the spinning in midair and and all that stuff. It just. I was um 
I was watching that you can unlock extras by collecting different things throughout the game. Yeah. You unlock points, and yeah, the, yeah, they, they, there's a lot of mocap and stuff they're very proud of uh, watching in the extras. And the, the stuff they show is all the fight scenes. So when he's doing his Neo Matrix style yeah. stuff, and they're watching it all being mocapped, and everyone's all very excited about this. And, and like that's, I actually want to see the more incidental stuff because mm. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that's more interesting in the game. Yeah. But you know, clearly they were very, you know, once again, kind of tech demo. Yeah stuff and they wanted to get it in there and it, it almost felt like well we've got all this mocap studio let's go let's prove that we can do this ridiculous over the top action scenes um, and how realistic does it look for 2005 and missing the point of what their actual game was from the very start Yeah. Uh, the, the only the, the blessing that comes out of this is that if you read interviews with David Cage now he at least recognises that <laughs> the game falls apart towards yeah. the end yeah. so and and like again, this isn't the heavy rain show, but it's not. He hasn't, he hasn't entirely <laughs> fixed it, but he got rid of. You know, he he at least recognizes that you don't need super yeah. sci-fi special effects to tell a decent story. So yeah, I think he certainly scaled it back for, for yeah. heavy rain. And yeah, left it, although it looks like he's ramping it back up for Beyond. Story. Yeah, yeah, but it it does feel it did feel playing through it again this time because um I didn't say actually and, and we didn't say but. I played the game, I happened to buy a PS2 um, right around the time this came out and got with it a stack of games just from a friend at work, including this. Um, and it was only playing a game recently, having played it, what, oh, I, that's more years ago than I want to think about, um, <laughs> that this came out. Um, it's only playing it now that I actually really appreciate, with Heavy Rain, the degree to which all of this, he actually addressed all of the problems. Most well, yeah. a lot of the problems most people most have with the second part of this game. And I've never spoken to anyone who doesn't think the story in this falls apart in the in the latter third or maybe even half. It's yeah. it's it's quite a universally held opinion, I think. Well, um, I mean, we're we're a fair chunk into the podcast, and we haven't tackled controls yet. Yeah, which is, I think it, this <laughs> that is an issue where I think he he may be exacerbated yeah. a lot more in Heavy yeah. Rain, but. Um, you know, nevertheless, they are pretty unique. Well, mm-hmm. unique. they are interesting within. Uh, At the time, context. they were unique. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, how do we feel about controls? Primarily, you can move around, and then there are analog stick movements um, with the the right stick to to interact with with objects. I think generally that's that was a cool thing at the time. It was yeah. different, and it felt like I had a lot of options with how I interacted with the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense yeah. in the in the way that David Cage talks about implementing um, controls with um, real life movements. Like he, people kind of laugh at it with Heavy Rain too, but I, I I like the idea of like if you're going to pick something up, you move the stick up. It's just it's a little thing, and it. Really doesn't matter mm. too much, but it, it does kind of help a little bit with the immersion. Yeah, I think when you you walk into a fridge instead of just pressing X, yeah, pulling it pulling it to the right to yeah. open it, pulling it to the left mm-hmm. uh, to lock it. I've had a, there was a couple of moments in the game where I think the controls were just completely letting me down. I, I was <laughs> ranting on Twitter <laughs> about this. Yeah, climbing yeah. Uh, is a bugbearer for me in this game. Climbing yeah. the fence is really weird. I found. Um, mm-hmm. I know we're, we're you're probably also talking about the the telegraph pole. You have to shimmy up, but. Climbing the fence, so what you do is you flick the, the stick out from centre to either left or right, and then mm-hmm. curve it round. It's sort of like a, yeah, a like quarter circle, circle forward, but but yeah, but, yeah not, not down and, and quarter circle. It's it's sideways and then quarter circle up. 
Um, it's a really strange and interesting counterpoint to say Ubisoft and Assassin's Creed, where it's just hold a button forward, hold yeah. down A, and you're going to climb whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I appreciate it because, mm. I mean, once again, mapping real life movements to an analog stick is pretty hard but yeah. i guess if you were saying that raising a hand would be moving it out to the right and then kind of yeah. moving it above yeah. your head and, and up like it, it maps to, to some kind of parallels but um for me in particular so i mean that worked fine with the fence because you only have to do it like two or three mm-hmm. times but there's a couple of scenes where you have to to climb a, a very long drain pipe or in one of the flashbacks you have to climb up a, a very high pole mm-hmm. and then go across a you know a line through some uh, searchlights and both these, because ultimately there's about 20 times you have to do that movement, and it's really fickle on mm-hmm. how yeah. great you have to do that movement. So there's a line on the screen, and you need to follow that line. But and yeah, after the 15th time, but I, I am following that line, dude. <laughs> and you know, you'd get three quarters up, and it would throw you on the ground, and then take away a load of your stamina meter. Yeah. Um, oh, and you no. do that twice, and then you're wrecked, and it's like start again, <laughs> and, and I'll run past the same yeah. people again, and yeah. redo it again, and. Oh, and yeah, as any kind of game player knows, you, you do that and then you make yourself worse and worse and worse. So eventually you're better off walking away and coming back to it. But it's just, it was one of those like, ah, oh, the you know, ridiculous controls, barrier. All I want to do is climb up this drain pipe. Yeah. And it's taken me ages just to, you know, to do this one simple task, which is move up a drain pipe, which you could have just pressed up on the control stick to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like mostly that they get it right and it's, you know, it feels. So that probably back then it felt unique enough, but uh, uh, he he takes that to town in heavy rain. So I'll I'll pick up my control <laughs> rant when we do that one. <laughs> There's a lot to what you just said, Tony, um, about various parts of the game. And one thing in the game's defense with the climbing is very shortly before that tall uh, telephone pole, at least the game gives you a little bit of experience with climbing a couple of fences. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I appreciated that because with the fences, you have to do it maybe four or five times, whereas with the mm-hmm. pole, you have to do it like 20. So at least yeah. after doing the fence, you know, like for me anyway, I, t- I put the controller on my lap and I took my thumb and forefinger and did those movements to, <laughs> to be certain that I did not fall off of that telephone pole. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the game also has a lot of problems. Uh, I guess this this may or may not be a good time to mention it, but you said when you fell, you had to go back and go past all the guards again, go yeah. through everything. There's a lot of problems I saw with checkpointing in a lot of these mm-hmm. these uh, very important gameplay sections. You know where you had the opportunity to fail. I didn't really want to do thirty things yeah. because I failed at the end in over right. and over. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the worst for that is the flashback stuff. The, it, it, the, the game suddenly decides that it, it wants a stealth sequence from nowhere, <laughs> twice in fact. And um, you're trying to sneak your way through this army base that you, you're being brought up on as kids. And there's there's fog lights and there's you know army people, personnel walking backwards and forwards. And you're and they they give you a line on the screen where you're meant to go, but it you know <laughs> you fail it, you get caught, and it's back to the start. <laughs> it's yeah. like oh. And from a narrative perspective, too, at that point, it's it's a little bit hilarious that all of a sudden these these soldiers are pointing guns at little kids and threatening, (laughs) stop or I'll shoot. What? And also the little kids can just outwit all the soldiers at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. And and another thing that comes into all this too is the camera. How some, sometimes you'll get 360 degrees with the uh, triggers. You can move them around. And sometimes it's it's a resident evil style boxed 
in yeah. uh, sequence, and you're just it always kind of throws you off, no matter what you're trying to do. And it's really hard with those stealth sequences to see everything yeah. you need to, you need to see in order to get past everything. So, and and, and the, the irony, I mean, it, it interactive film for what this is when when those scenes actually happen and it breaks down it's the most jarring thing in this world because ultimately he's trying to say well you have an interactive storytelling and you could argue well your your you know adventure ends there but certainly in those flashbacks it's no i just want to get to that base there like Mm -hmm. why am i spending you know the best part of half an hour through you know trial and error (laughs) just get in there like it completely um you know know, sidetracks the story to to, for for no reason i think that's a problem pretty much right from the off i found that with the camera and the way the character moves um i found it very difficult to walk around an environment especially when you're looking for interactive objects and make it look in any way shape or form natural which when you're trying to have a cinematic experience if you're just bumping into the wall all the way along (laughs) to try and find what you can interact with and and kind of turning awkwardly around things it really it, it it really breaks that cinematic experience. I don't wouldn't say it breaks immersion because mm-hmm. there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things you can do in games um, to to break immersion for yourself. But it just felt more awkward than it ought to me. Um, to just walking around a room, just walking over to someone, even if you know that's where your interact point is to go and talk to someone. I found it quite difficult to do that in a way that looked natural. And the other thing that I found quite, uh, I mean, the, the QTEs for the most part. So you've got two uh, colored rings on, on the screen pop up in the middle and you've got to, to match up, down, left, right movements on both analog sticks, matching what the screen, the prompts on the screen are telling you to do. It does it for some of the weirdest things. You're shimmying along a ledge and it puts one of those up. When you're in the Oracle scene, you're having a conversation and there's one of those pops up (laughs) to try and test your ability to listen. listen. As you said, Tony, to deserve information from from this scene. Um, And even in scenes where it does make sense and sometimes almost Asura's Wrath-like when you're dodging something or, or when you're in a fight, the the way you have to move the analog sticks is kind of tied to the character movement and and that's great but you especially in the scene where you fight the oracle the first real sort of matrix fight scene uh sort of i guess it's three quarters of the way through the game probably if not more um i was so focused because the difficulty at that point is actually pretty high i was Mm. so focused on those two rings i had to watch it on youtube afterwards to take in yeah, and okay, I understand what's happening. It's a fight. You don't really see, but it's relatively well choreographed but, as a as a sort of pseudo matrix fight scene, mm-hmm. and you don't yeah, see you it. You miss it's the all... details. MGS four, yeah. the um, the Raiden and Vamp fight scene yeah, two, is, two is fight. reminiscent of that because you're not really paying attention to any of it because as yeah. Snake, you're busy yeah. dealing with. Um, I feel like that was almost on purpose. It's like, look at this super fight up here that you're not. That you're even not seeing. even watching. Put, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas this, it feels like sometimes the action's obscured, and other well, times and, the prompts are unnecessary. So weird. And, but from, from you know from their point of view, mm. if if you didn't have those, yeah. you know, if if you weren't doing something yeah. on on the screen itself, then this is where the interactive part, of the, right. the, yeah. the, the storytelling falls apart because you would sit there and watch. 20 minutes worth of cutscene but in yeah i guess what they're saying was let's see you're engaged in in what's happening on the screen even if your actions have no influence whatsoever you you want to do well at these things i mean there's lives and you don't want to restart and all that stuff but 
like you, you know you can fail a number of that stuff and it make no difference whatsoever yeah. mm. and i think the, the biggest punishment like i say is when you have you know you're just having conversing between characters and it's a barrier between actually hearing one one side of a conversation and it that's yeah. like well why why would you not want me to to know more about what's happening within the story because i'm not quick enough on a button press yeah. it's it's a very weird um weird way to to engage the player by not yeah. engaging the player I think they Hello. just got trigger happy with it, really. It's just mm, like yeah. they thought that it was cool for certain things, which it definitely, I think it was, especially then. Even now, it seems like some of them are tied really well, like you're saying. But they were just like, oh, yeah, let's throw one here. Oh, let's throw one here. I'll put one there. <laughs> throw one there. And, and then it just it becomes aggravating almost. Like, yeah. I, that, it's stupid. It's, and it's occasionally you can't tell how punishing it's going to be. Like, sometimes you can miss like two or three or four of the prompts and you'll still be okay. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll miss one of them and it'll say failed. And yeah. And it's just over and it's, it's, and it never gives you any kind of indication of how important it is that you nail every single one of them or not. It just, it seems random almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite strange. I wanted to mention something regarding Mm. the the navigation and the camera, what you guys were talking about before. Um, I, the way that it was set up, I almost would have rather it have been more like Resident Evil with character relative controls. Because mm-hmm. in this particular game, with you know environment relative controls, as you're changing from perspective to perspective, you know that, I mean, I'm sure you guys experienced it and wasted tons of your time very frequently just kind of having your character go all wonky and not go the right. direction you want. And it's because mm-hmm. every time the camera switches perspective, yeah. if you're still holding the stick, mm-hmm. the game remembers the the relative orientation, orientation yeah. of the other camera. So it still is responding yeah. as if you were on the other camera angle and you have to let go of the stick and let it zero before yeah. it realizes yeah. the camera has changed and there's a new way to to orient the character and the controls and that is super frustrating you you go in and out of scene multiple times and then just literally say let the stick go and go where am i yeah (laughs) which way am i facing and and i guess um 2005 fahrenheit was right on the cusp of it not that problem being solved but it does feel like since then the number of games which you can level that criticism at are fewer yeah, it seems sure. like either I guess free moving cameras have got become much more commonplace, and mm-hmm. therefore you're not dealing with multiple fixed camera angles or anything like that. And it, and it's not too much of an issue apart from when you you suddenly have the timed element, so you have a, a cop outside your door, yeah. um, <laughs> and you know you, you realise that you've got you know bloodied bed sheets that need covering, and you need to wash up you know your hands and and do all this stuff, and you've got a timer on the screen. That stuff's really good because you're like, oh god, like I. You know, that's an obvious thing. I've got a bloody shirt on the floor, which clearly needs to go in the washing machine. Otherwise, it's going to be a telltale sound. And he's standing there and the timer's going down. There's pressures there and you're going in and out the same camera yeah. four he's times. basically doing going, like a boy band yeah. dance back and <laughs> forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay, so uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we just quickly kind of, uh, before we move on to to talking about uh, our thoughts on the game and forum correspondence thoughts on the game, there are a few Easter eggs and sort of hidden um, things in the game. Um, The first of which is a couple of references to Omicron. Um, Tyler, when he goes to his desk after arriving at work late, um, spots a little toy figure on the desk and mentions that it's, uh, I think it's called Socks. 
from his uh, favorite video game, and that's actually a character from Omicron. So it's a, <laughs> obviously a Quantic Dream reference that none of us would have got. I only found out by happening to search for that. Um, one of the bonuses, Tony, you mentioned you can collect these little cards that unlock bonus material. One of them is a hidden dance floor scene, which is one of the most disturbing things I've seen in a video game. But it's a it's game incredible. on YouTube if if you if you are that dis- just drunk, frankly, you want to watch it. Um, but showing some of maybe the humorous side of Quantic Dream yeah. that they would they would put that in there. It seems almost like test footage and just what you know. It feels almost like a. a a sort of cutting that you would get at the end of an animated film just with characters. Is that, there's also another one with um, Sam where she dances a lot longer as well. She gets up on the table right. and she mm. and she does like a you know fifteen minute dance for Tyler <laughs> and Tyler's doing all these big, you know, facial animations like ha 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 Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Um, the only other sort of Easter egg that I spotted was in uh, Takeo you have to go around his bookshop looking for all sorts of books in his bizarre mini game where you have to just go and hunt books. Um, one one of the books you can pick up is called I, I guess it's Latin Cavni Cadas, uh, mm-hmm. and it's the the author's name surname is De Grotola, which is obviously yeah. a reference to David Cage's uh, birth name. Um, just a, a little thing. Uh, I was more baffled by that entire scene than than uh, pleased <laughs> yeah. by that. Easter, yeah. It's Jesus. a nice touch for people who know. Yeah, just a weird scene. Really weird. <laughs> and that that definitely feels like a scene that just didn't need to be in the. Um, the There's also a Gremlins reference in there as there well. There is yep. a Gremlins yeah. reference in there, yeah. Uh, and quite an astute one, I think. It actually plays quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was, it probably isn't the sort of thing people notice. There are three endings to the game. The ending almost everyone would get, I imagine, is the good ending, where you successfully complete both of the quick time events at the end. One against the Oracle as the representative of the Orange Clan and the other uh, against the AI construct as a representative of the Purple Clan. Um, and that good ending is is essentially the 28 Days Later ending. You're in a nice remote cabin as the world looks way too colourful but is now <laughs> back up to temperature and everything's happy. Um, and it transpires that Carla is pregnant with Lucas's child <laughs> that was probably conceived uh, during the necrophilic act on on the eve before, um, for that final countdown yeah. battle. Um, so, she, you know, another Chroma baby. Another Chroma yeah, baby. Yeah. Um, Ready for yeah. the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But actually, if you fail either one of those two QTs against uh, the Oracle or the AI construct, um, you get an alternate ending. Either the Oracle claims the Indigo Child on behalf of the the orange clan and the ending is kind of uh, a mixed bag where the world doesn't get any worse, but you're wondering how it's going to change now that the orange clan control things, which ostensibly they always have. So it's kind of a status quo ending, I guess. Um, And again, you get the same voiceover saying that they have a child. Um, And the bad ending is if the uh, purple clan get their hands on, on the child um, and the world continues to get colder, and they plan on wiping out humanity. Um, and the last dying hope is Carla and Lucas's child, who may well be the next Indigo child. And well, that's darker. And therefore, when you get to seven years' time, she will be able to reveal the secrets. Uh, but yeah, definitely darker. Humanity is underground, hiding, trying to battle with Lucas as the kind of um, the the beacon. Despite the fact oh. he lost the battle, he's still the their best shot. At 
at uh, taking down the the AI. Um, but so yeah, when people say the internet will be the end of this world, they were <laughs> yeah, right. they were right. <laughs> it will come alive and kill us. Um, so yeah, th- those are reasonably worth watching. Although the voiceover is largely the same, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, endings that I didn't know existed until I searched <laughs> for them because I just you know battered my head against those QTEs and made sure I got them. So. To our forum correspondence, um, we've tried. We've been trying to sort of scatter these throughout the um, throughout the podcast, but in this case, all of the forum correspondence had a lot to say about various different aspects of the game, and I think that speaks to the fact that as a kind of cinematic experience, it's more difficult to pick apart individual mm. aspects of the game. You have to kind of take it as a gestalt appreciation, is the way I've put it. Um, I would think just, you know, you take it on the whole and how you feel about it and, and kind of come to an overall conclusion. Um, even though there are clear individual aspects of the game that, that either help it succeed or fail. So I'm going to kick us off with the forum correspondence. Uh, Flabio says, Fahrenheit is one of those games that I tend to think of as being a glorious failure. The opening sections of the game with you playing as both the criminal and the cops trying to track him down were very clever indeed. But at some point, they seem to have run out of ideas for that, and the game goes massively off the rails into all sorts of crazy secret society, ancient prophecy stuff. There are some amazing moments. The quiet scene where your ex visits to get her stuff back, and the ways in which that scene can go, for example, at least in the EU version. I think one of the outcomes of that scene got the chop in the US console versions. Um, Yeah, it did. Um, Then they throw in that huge and extremely irritating to play stealth section, and most of the goodwill they've built up rapidly vanishes. Finally, there's an ending that makes zero sense if you missed one optional and easy-to-miss part of the plot. I think the most telling failure is the fight sequences being entirely QTE-driven. There's some fantastic action choreography going on there, but you can't actually take any time to watch it because you're having to concentrate so hard on the QTE pop-ups. There's even an option in the menu once you finish the game to watch them back so you can see what you missed. The score is outstanding, though, one of my favourites. How to sum up our thoughts in one easy <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I generally agree. Most yeah, points. I think we've we've mentioned some of those things. I'm not sure he mentions that if you miss one optional, easy to miss part of the plot, the ending makes zero sense. Um, I'm not sure if he means something specific that you can miss if you miss a QTE section. Maybe you miss an explanation or, or two that just renders it even more bewildering, but it, it's already bewildering, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baker's 12. After all the hype of Heavy Rain and me not having a PS3, I thought I'd have to go at Fahrenheit. The opening, despite its ageing graphics, had me hooked. The story of a man who committed a murder when in a trance, trying to come to terms with it and figure out what's going on, and the clever switch to the cops investigating had me in the palm of its hand. I love the subtle blend of supernatural and police procedural. And then, bam, the killer is flying. What? Bam! Flashback. Childhood. Area 51. Uh, okay. Bam! Sparky internet man. What the fuck? It feels like they had a story that they wanted to tell and only to write half of it and then wing the second half. For a, <laughs> for a game that uh, stands or fails on its story, this should not have been released in this state. Telltale via The Walking Dead have now shown us how games like this should be made. I think that that last sentence is a fairly um, astute one, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, 2005. So yeah, absolutely. Know. And Telltale have learned through um, you know iteration of their own. And even The Walking Dead, there was some criticism about how uh, some of the 
not gameplay action, elements, but some of the, yeah. the sort of tense, time-sensitive scenes uh, played out um, in terms of controls and that kind of thing. So it's still not perfect, but yeah. well, and, and I would say frighteningly, um, I don't think they did. You know, I think they did have a script for the second half. It just wasn't very good. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to think that that you know, David Cage went. Well, I wrote the first half, and off you go to the development team. <laughs> you um, do the rest. But I, I don't think it was as clear cut as that. I think you know, his vision was was put there, and it, it just you know, it wasn't up to snuff. Yeah. I, I was glad that the Walking Dead was mentioned there because I wanted to mention it earlier and just kind of glossed over it, but. Those those timed conversation sequences I thought were so ahead of their time because yeah. essentially yeah. it's not that different from what we see in The Walking Dead seven years later. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a few options and you choose one and then others go away because you chose specific ones and then that conversation yeah. stands how you saw it in that playthrough. And in order to get it to, to look different, you kind of have to come mm-hmm. back and replay it again. So I, I actually thought that they did it, you know, largely better than anything before, and and Walking Dead only improved upon it yeah. slightly to get where they were, and and the the game was received super well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think this conversation system actually um, and Walking Dead's kind of it definitely shines a light on Mass Effect's conversation system where you have infinite time to respond and and you always know that you're responding top, middle or bottom depending upon which particular um, which particular, you know, moral stance you want to take. Um, whereas this actually did pretty well with just single word um, explanations of how you were going to respond. I never really felt uh, like Ellie Noir particular. I never really felt like the response wasn't matched up to what I intended it to be. It was pretty decent. I actually think um, Fahrenheit in many respects is a bit more complex than Walking Dead because Walking Dead is very much you know pick choices, see yeah. outcome, you know, and the gameplay you know it's it's there in between. But a lot of the time it doesn't have life and death. Um, well, here it doesn't have life and death, but you know it, I feel like in Fahrenheit. There's those pressure time sensitive stuff where you know you you need to think more on your feet of okay I need to hide the shirt I need to do this I need to do yeah. that where The Walking Dead is a bit more kind of here's here's the dialogue trees and you only have a very short time to to pick one of these ultimately you know there's an outcome that can come from those choices and you have a limit time so you know sometimes you make the wrong one under pressure but here I feel like the pressure is actually on the gameplay side of stuff of you know do, have I done everything that's required of yeah. me as a player before I actually, cause you, you can obviously open the door to the policeman. If you've done all that stuff prior to him knocking mm-hmm. um, almost instantaneously and go, yeah, come in officer. No problem. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. All right. Should I continue with the forum correspondence? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please. Okay. So we have the next one from Dom's beard. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yep. Yeah. I picked up, <laughs> I picked up Fahrenheit for the princely sum of two pounds 99 at a car boot sale. I guess, what is, what is a car boot sale? It's where you sell stuff at the back of a car boot, sir. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I picked up Fahrenheit for the princely sum of two ninety nine at a car boot sale. I was intrigued by the choices the game claimed it would give you and hoped that the bold claims of David Cage, never heard of him at this point, would pay off. The tutorial was weird with an avatar of Cage speaking about emotions and talking to us through the subtle moments needed to play the game. Then it started. I hid the knife, moved the body, then realized it was a waste of time, washed my hands, then made a quick exit, only to remember that my bloody hands would be all over the taps. 
To then switch to the police investigating the murder was genius. I deliberately gave a sketchy image of myself to the police <laughs> to give myself more time to find out what was going on. The snowy setting was excellent, evoking memories of Max Payne. The soundtrack is also fantastic and well worth checking out, even if you have no intention of playing this. Um, the story starts off very well and interesting, but after a touching scene playing the guitar for my lost love, I'm ignoring the shagging scene. Hated that. It starts to descend downhill when Lucas suddenly turns into Neo from the Matrix, flying through the air and dodging bullets. The rest of the story is a jumbled mess. I can remember Lucas dying, yet managing to come back to life thanks to the internet and father a child, then fighting the internet and saving the day <laughs> as well as the golden child. I got the good ending. The snow goes away. Huzzah! I believe there are two or three. Overall, I'll always have fond memories of this game, and love him or hate him, I'll always appreciate someone who tries something different, even if that different goes to shit halfway through. <laughs> I, um, I wanted to mention something that he talked about there that we yeah. haven't touched on at all, which is the soundtrack. Um, I think it's awesome. Uh, um, when I first started playing it, and it, you know, we talked earlier about how the credit sequence happens, and it pops up who shows... Uh, who did who did what when making the game? It comes up music by Angelo Badalamente, and I don't know if he's familiar to you guys, but he um, does a lot of the music for David Lynch. He did like yeah. the Twin Peaks song and Blue Velvet and uh, Mulholland Drive, and he's a fantastic composer. And I, I really think his he left a stamp on this game that really created a lot of atmosphere, especially in the first half of the game, where as we mentioned before, it's already that's the better half. But I, I just I would agree with him that the soundtrack was fantastic, as he said. Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, I, I've said before and been chastised before <laughs> for saying I don't often notice soundtracks, mm, even if right. they're good. And this was one of those situations where listening back to it, just the music, I absolutely recognise that it is, it is some pretty fantastic uh, music. But when I was playing the game, it never stood out to me in a way that, you know, some soundtracks, Hotline Miami is going to be the obvious touchstone. Well, sure. Because you can't <laughs> play that game and not notice the music that is just battering your eardrums. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this case, at no point did the music stand out as being bad, but at no point did I, I wouldn't be able to, to recall it, hum it, recite it, anything like that. But actually just listening to the music um, on its own, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. So, yeah. <clears throat> okay, Todinho says, So Indigo Prophecy. This is an interesting game, to say the least. I got the game from a friend of mine who kept saying how I needed to play this game because of how unique it was and how it had a great story, and I wouldn't regret playing it. Well, I eventually started the game and was immediately greeted by Mr. David Cage himself. And right then I knew I was in for something different. I'll say that the start of this game is probably one of the strongest starts I've seen in a video game, probably in the same league as Bioshock. It gives you an interesting setup and forces you to think quickly, pay attention, and execute many of the main mechanics of the game while having multiple ways to resolve the situation, and you'll probably screw up the first time. It's sad, then, that this is also the best part of the game. The story falls apart by the middle, and none of the parts of the game manage to hit the tension or challenge of the start. The quick-time events are not really all that good, and don't even get me started on those awful stealth sections that made me almost quit the game. This may sound very negative, but I actually love my time with the game overall, mainly because when the game went crazy with giant bugs, matrix fights, and mines, I just rolled with it and had great fun laughing at everything that was happening on screen. And I also liked to see the characters interacting, and while I don't think any of them were great characters, they were fun to watch. So while I think Indigo Prophecy fails as a serious drama, it certainly succeeds as a game that entertains its player from start to finish, 
and it's one that I recommend people play. I forgot the giant dogs. Well, I didn't forget them. Just haven't <laughs> <wrote> them up. <laughs> Certainly a weird scene. I guess it's, it's one of the first scenes where you actually realize that something... It sounds odd to say that given the first opening scene, but it's one of the first times I realized that something really weird was going on in the game. Because they, <laughs> look, they look so different to anything you've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, the opening of the game, and even with the ritual stuff, you can kind of... You can kind of write that off as it's not really ritual sacrifice or you know something else is happening, but they they visually stand out quite significantly. So those were the formal comments. I think it's actually quite telling that uh, several of you know several of them mentioned the same things. Stuff we've yeah. said about the game. It seems like um, the response to this game in many ways is quite similar. It just comes down to how much you were able to overlook some of the not so good stuff in favor of you know some of the 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 good stuff that's there. Um, we got quite a response on three word reviews. Uh, we're going to uh, run through those now, and we're going to finish up on one that I'm putting in here just to make a point. Four word reviews aren't three word reviews. It, it's, a, it's a culprit that we've had before, and you will uh, you will know when you hear them. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> three word reviews. All right, the first one comes from Zantiriad. He says, amateur author aspiration. Brilliant, I love that one. Alliterations, <laughs> highly, I'm going to say it, Leon, underrated. <laughs> okay, uh, Rich Spurs 24 says, excellent, yet flawed. Plasterer Russ says, mind messing classic. Baker's 12, what the fuck? <laughs> Mr. Flabo loses the plot. Snaky David says, great opening, nonsense. Jerome MCI says, weird dance montage. <laughs> <laughs> Masonic Mo, enjoyable but daft. Tat Sun, awful third act. The San Sea says Fahrenheit, it burns. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I, I like that. That's a <laughs> And Mr. Furious himself, snow off the boil. Now, that's four words. By my count, anyone want to make a case for this? <laughs> no, but it's great. It, it, it's good, but... Oh, the cheek of you, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, our summaries. And um, one thing I wanted to uh, to include, certainly in mine, and maybe see if any of you guys want to talk about, is, is the legacy of this game, because I think it's an interesting one. For my own part, um, I'm really glad I replayed Fahrenheit. The first half of this game is a clear signal as to where Heavy Rain was going to go, and that will have its own show, and plenty of people think it's got its own problems. Um, but the first half of this game, replaying it again, I actually really, really liked. It's not perfect. There's some dialogue that's... I've got three pages. Pretty much most of it is dialogue that just made me roll my eyes or <laughs> laugh when I shouldn't have been. Um, and the story that takes over from that halfway point, from as soon as you start realizing that there's these clans vying for control of humanity, it just it's so unnecessary and it's such a shame to see these three characters that have kind of been nurtured and and, and brought along really steadily and, and quite strongly, I think, in many ways. Um, they just take a complete backseat and it's just all bombast and, and, and grandeur that... that for all all how big the game goes feels very very flat and 
we've said several times what the fuck is the response to this game second half <laughs> and the ending um when i when i spoke about the opening of the game being memorable it absolutely is it's iconic the problem mm-hmm. is that in uh, the minds of most of the people we've heard from forum correspondents the ending is what this game gets remembered for and it's such a shame because the atmosphere created and the characters in the first half are, are actually pretty good and i think set quantic uh, dream on on the path to where they were going and that's clearly what they wanted to do and i think stuff like the um the casting and then kara and and the dark sorcerer actually show what can be done if only david cage would stop talking about polygons yeah, but they're, not, they're not interactive at that point they're just yeah yeah brilliant tech demos but they're not interactive yeah. and that's that's the stumbling block is and it is, is how block, yeah. And, yeah and i think when we're saying that maybe if we just dial back the interactive side a bit that might let us see more of the story but then on the other hand the story's not so great so you've got a storyteller who's desperate to tell stories but can't find a good one unfortunately um certainly in this case i think it, it falls apart quite significantly when there's any story stuff really going on it's all the small stuff that's almost insignificant that turned out to be the the best and that's a shame but that's my two cents for what it's worth uh these days about two cents i gather um eddie would you care to uh to furnish us with your summation sure um so replaying the game i found that my initial response to it back in 2005 was was uh, much more favorable than when I play it now. Again, I, I really am latching on to a lot more of the flaws. Like back then I saw all of the, what do they call it, physical action and reaction sequences, their, their form of QT, that is not nearly as good as I thought it was back then. I thought that it was okay in some parts and, and really fell apart and uh, distracted from a lot of things uh, in other parts. And um, the story, I think it's generally accepted that it, it starts off pretty well. You know, it's very grounded. You feel engaged. The characters are solid. Everything's very strong. It pulls you into the game, and that combines with a lot of the gameplay elements, which were ahead of their time. And then, you know, at a certain point, I'm, I might even recommend just stopping playing when you get to a certain point and not have it <laughs> sullied. You know, if you, if you haven't played it already, then really some of it is not even worth spending the time. Um, but I, I do love the game for what it did at that time. And I always have to keep reiterating it was in 2005, you know. <laughs> um, so at that point, it was it was truly unique. It had the great conversation system, which lasts even to today in, in the Walking Dead series. Um, it, I, I have like a special place in my heart for this game because when it came out, it wasn't super popular uh, as far as I knew among whoever I spoke to. So it was one of those games where I, I went around telling people, like, this is a different kind of game. You, you, you kind of have to play this game if you care about where video games are going in the future. Um, and as it turns out, they didn't really kind of go in David Cage's direction, although, although Quantic Dream continued to expand upon it, and you saw little hints of the influence here and there. But um, definitely an important game in gaming history for sure. I would never take that away from it. And overall, you know, it's something that I certainly enjoyed. And, and I even enjoyed going back through it again this time, um, even if I struggled with a little bit of frustration more than I recall. Okay, Tony. 
Um, Best game ever? No, really, no, that's World of Warcraft. Come on, <laughs> um, two points, really. I, I think from a game point of view, I, I think it's as much a success as it is a failure. I'm, I'm always interested in, in games trying things different. And you know, certainly in 2005, this was very different. But even playing through through the game now, you know, there's been so many, you know, cookie cutter games that I've played over the years that even now this this still feels something fresh and original um but it just it it can't a lot of its ideas still haven't been improved upon now and you you wonder whether the actual um the, the central core of the idea is is flawed <laughs> and whether it can't actually be um and brought forward but uh, the walking dead kind of fixes that I don't know it <laughs> To me, though, it, it's only as if this is going to be an, an, an interactive fiction, then you're only as good as the fiction, um, whether you know the gameplay part or, or not. That the story has to be solid, and you know, you we'll talk about heavy rain, but I feel like this this suffers the same fate. Where at times it feels at its very best, like it's an episode of Buffy. <laughs> you know, I, I like the characters. I, I, you know, you, you, you generally like the, the people there. But by the end of a, an episode, you know, you're like, oh, God, this has just gone ridiculous. And, you know, all the bits I liked at the very start have kind of just gone gone off and off the boil towards the end. And it's, it's like someone doing a really great big, great painting and then just throwing the paint over the canvas and going, there we go. And you're kind of like picking the pieces that you had underneath it saying there was something really great under there. Mm. So I, I, I just think it's an interesting failure. Um at times, I actually think it, it's nowhere near as bloody um, obtruse as, as Heavy Rain turned out to be. <laughs> but we'll talk about that on the show. So um, I, I would still recommend people play it, though. I, I think it's it does feel different enough from a lot of stuff I've played now. So and it's dirt cheap. I mean, I played it on the Xbox 360. You can just pick up a, 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 the original Xbox copy. I think it's like 99p from any place. From a car boot sale, Eddie. That's probably where you can pick this up from. Um, for really cheap. Uh, and it's probably it. I mean, it's just about seven, six, seven, eight hours on. It's around that, that period. So yeah. I would play it. Um, I enjoyed it. But yeah, as ev- everybody talked about, it kind of just... it. it completely falls apart around the halfway point so sean would you like to wrap us up sure eddie basically took the words exactly out of my mouth like i i i put these shows up for talking about on the mm. uh, interance list because i had super fond memories of this game and mm. and similarly heavy rain and going back and playing it now like there's a lot more stuff that I didn't like about it. And, <laughs> and I'm, that kind of makes me worry about Heavy Rain. But uh, I don't know. It, it's still really charming to me. And there's, there's, it's not so serious as Heavy Rain is. And, and, and I kind of like that about it. There's moments of levity and, mm. and comedic moments that I, I actually found were pretty charming. There's also some kind of super racist stuff that doesn't need to be in there at all. Yeah. Um, a lot of it feels really... Uh, inconsequential and and as we've said a bunch of times now it just it totally falls apart halfway through but i still i still like it and i still would recommend people play it yeah yeah no i i tend to agree i think your mileage will vary by how much you're you enjoy just a game for being different but i i still think you know people speak fondly of of demos they played over the years on on free uh you know magazine cover discs and mm. the first two chapters of the game the the uh, murder and then the investigation you could play those over several times just to see the different things you can do the different options and it'd actually be surprising if you count every different conversation topic just how many different 
uh, ways you could play through that. Um, and I think that is the game's strongest legacy to, to leave. So, yeah. A mixed bag of responses, not just from ourselves, but from the uh, the forum and, and Twitter correspondents. Um, strong emotions, absolutely, from this game, and not just because of their polygons. It should be noted. Uh, but, yeah. That was Fahrenheit and or Indigo Prophecy uh, delete as applicable. As for what's happening in the future, there are only four shows left until we complete Volume 2. You can play along with us uh, to the completion of Volume 2. Next week, Super Meat Boy. Uh, After that, L.A. Noir. Then Psychonauts and rounding up, as we have said a few times, with the Heavy Rain show. Um, that should be an interesting counterpoint to this one. Uh, not necessarily counterpoint, but follow-up uh, to, to round off uh, Quantic Dream's current output before Beyond Two Souls comes out. So I am kind of looking forward to playing it again. Yeah, I'm toying with playing it again, uh, <laughs> even though I'm not on the show, just to to see. Because um, I, I, I did David Cage's uh, recommended playthrough and just played it once and then got rid of it. So... Um, <laughs> it's his that's what he meant right <laughs> yeah you can support us by subscribing reviewing and rating us on iTunes Cane and Rinse merchandise is available which can be found on caneandrinse.spreadshirt.co.uk or a link from the front page and remember join the Cane and Rinse community and have your say at caneandrinse.com forward slash forum um, you can also converse and get involved with the community on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube all of this, links to these and more, can be found at canerinse.com. It's also worth mentioning, if you hop on our forums, uh, we are all arranging to meet up with the Midnight Resistance and Joypod gathering uh, on Friday night at Eurogamer. So um, if, if you're going to be in around London... Yeah, that that's, that's, weekend, game, that's expanded as well. It's now BitSocket uh, and... Is it Game Wank Jim? Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. who both so. have been nominated for Golden Joysticks, so... And we haven't. And and we haven't, but we're used to that. My sincerest thanks to Tony Atkins, Sean O'Brien, and Eddie Inzalto. Eddie, would you like to tell us a bit about where we can find you? We've pimped our stuff. Time to pimp yours. Sure. I am the editor-in-chief of Gamernode.com, so you'll find a lot of my writing there, as well as the entire Gamernode staff. We do a lot of reviews. We do daily news, you know, interviews, all that great stuff, previews of, of games that are coming out. And I have the Versus Node podcast, which um, is sort of on a on a irregular schedule, but we're, we're pretty regular for the remainder of this year, talking about this console generation. We just released our most overrated games of the console generation and soon we'll be releasing the most underrated games of the console generation then we'll be moving into more topics talking about various different themes that encompass the entire generation right all the way up to the xbox one and ps4 release Um, i also occasionally write reviews for game critics and that's about it for now we have been kane and rinse um you have hopefully been mildly entertained um, make sure to come back uh, next week if you've played Super Meat Boy, if not, the week after for Eleanor. Thanks very much, folks. Bye. Bye.